The Unlikely Innovators with Mike Comito and Steve Gravel. Presented by Cambrian R&D and the Center for Smart Mining. I'm intervening on behalf of, of the listeners. Steve was about to do a hoot, maybe an owl impression, uh, yeah. because our guest today, uh, Britt Ho, uh, is uh, it works at Hootsuite. So again, we're not going to do Brit or no. Hootsuite the disservice of having Steve do his best. Save hour me, impression. save me from so, myself. <laughs> uh, we are saving him from himself, himself, uh, for the for the good of the listeners, of course. So again, uh, welcome. This is back. of course the uh, unlikely innovators. <laughs> yeah, this is this is the actual intro. This is not this is not a blooper reel. Yeah, that this is we're backing into the episode, into the episode today. Is, we're backing into it. Yeah. This is this is how we're uh, we're starting. But we had a really good conversation, really good vibe with with Brit uh from hootsuite um you know so we you know Britt is a project and program management uh professional she's been with hootsuite for over seven years so we got to kind of uh go down her journey with her she started off in hospitality a bit of an unlikely uh or unconventional path but i think the way Britt explains it not that unlikely which is often how we learn about our guest journeys is that what may appear unlikely on the outside isn't all that unlikely i think there's a lot of parallels between you know what she'd learned in her studies in hospitality to what she was doing uh, in tech when she first started, and certainly now, you know, working with internal stakeholders at Hootsuite uh, that are also enabling businesses outside of the enterprise to kind of come up with uh, ways to meet their goals. And and got we got into AI and some other cool things, and also th- towards the end, you know, talked about some of Britt's passions. But I don't want to spoil that too much. But Steve, what did you take away from our our chat with Britt? Well, I'm gonna be uh, I'm gonna be a bit reflective if you'll allow me. Of course. I think when the uh, final word is written about the message that the Unlikely Innovators has brought to the world, uh, I think what we will find is that most of the Unlikely Innovators that we have on the show, uh, what it will show is that the best run organizations look for talent in non-obvious places and those that are willing to take a chance on someone that doesn't have a background that meets the exact title that they're posting for uh, are much richer for it. So I think what we'll find is if you could take this as a document, these group of episodes we've done over the last three years, I think will be a uh, a ringing endorsement for looking for the unconventional uh, backgrounds in the world and, and harnessing them. Absolutely. I would agree with that. And I think let's just go right to that because I think Britt's got some great insights on her own path. And I think especially with uh, with uh, unlikely paths and, and why that's so needed to have different perspectives in sectors like tech, but everywhere. Um, mm-hmm. I think is a, is a really important thread in this episode. So let's go right to Brit. Okay, so we're we're back. We're pleased to be joined by Britt Ho. Britt is a project manager and program management professional with over seven years of experience working in tech. She launched her career in marketing at Uber and then joined Hootsuite to build out the customer marketing program. Since then, Britt has transitioned over into project management to drive and deliver on product project strat or product strategy. In her day-to-day, Britt works cross-functionally to enable her stakeholders to execute on their business goals within the organization. As co-chair of the Asian ERG at Hootsuite, she is also passionate about enabling individuals to use their diverse strengths to pursue leadership positions in the workplace and community. She's also a change management, she's also change management certified and works with teams to operate in agile product environments. Outside of her work, Britt is also deeply connected to the local boxing community in Vancouver and is always Googling a new recipe for dinner. And now she is a guest on the Unlikely Innovators. Britt, welcome to our podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Well, we're excited to have you. And, um, you know, on this show, as the name implies, we like to talk about uh, unlikely journeys and unlikely innovation. And one of the things we wanted to start with you is is your journey. And I think what's interesting is that you started off in hospitality and, and kind of and worked your way into tech. So maybe if we could start there, 
and talk about what may seem like an unlikely journey, but maybe it's actually not after we kind of hear it from you. Yeah. So when I was in high school, I think like a lot of young students, I was really torn as to what do I do next? What do I spend my next four years heads down studying? Um, And at the time I had a career advisor uh, in school being like, Hey, you really, uh, you really like working with people. And there's this great hospitality program out east at the University of Guelph. It's a business program, but then you would major in hospitality. Why don't you give that a go? And I was like, you know what? That sounds pretty good. I do like people. I like to eat. I like to travel. Hospitality sounds like a good fit. So I like the idea of it. I loved hospitality. Um, I went over, studied uh, my four years. It was a co-op program. And in my last summer before my last year of school, so it was like my last summer time frame I was like you know what this is my last chance to kind of do something maybe more fun before I get locked down into a full-time job and so at that point I was like well I still kind of want to get some experience on my resume let me just look at all the companies that I think are very cool right now and I'm just going to see if they have internships um and so at the time Uber was just kind of starting up in Canada Uh, Obviously, they were a little bit more established in the States, but um, really just getting going in uh, Toronto. So they had a marketing internship. I applied and then six interviews later, um, I got the role. So that was my first foray into tech, um, which is really interesting. It was a crash course, obviously very high, a very high paced. Uh, really interesting industry to work in uh, with Uber. But um, what was interesting to me and and what kind of gave me confidence as well was that a lot of the skills that I had learned from hospitality um, and a lot of that kind of people interaction, a lot of those skills can be transferred over into tech. Um, So from a hospitality perspective, you might think about your guest and what is that guest experience or, uh, you know, that customer experience, whereas in tech, we think about our users um, and and how that they experience our our products. And so really, I think a lot of the things that you think about or the storylines that you might go through are very similar. Um, and And I think a lot of it ultimately boiled down to Um, me asking myself what I really like doing and and what kind of industry and what kind of pace I liked working at. Um, And so after I graduated, I was like, you know what, I'm going to give tech a shot. Um, I continued working for Uber for a bit and then I came over into Hootsuite. So a little bit of an unconventional path, uh, but I like to think, like I said, a lot of the skills can be Mm -hmm. transferable um, and tech isn't just, you know, one dimensional. There's so many different facets to it. There's so many different roles within it. Um, and I really think that, you know, everyone can kind of find a place. I think that's really interesting, uh, Britt, um, because a lot of the time when, when you talk to people uh, who write about tech or who, who think about tech, uh, customer service is not exactly the first thing that jumps off the page. And we have a tendency to sometimes be impersonal when we think about a tech product, but that's so mm-hmm important and valuable um, to bring that sort of experience. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. Um, So if I think like when people hear that kind of customer service, they might think of more of a support format or, you know, obviously, yes, there's interactions there. um, Mm -hmm. And you do have to have kind of more of that hospitality persona when you work in um, CS. But Um, I also think that can be applied to other functions. So for example, I think any good product manager should be really thinking about their user and what is that experience? What 
is their ultimate goal and need and are they accomplishing that successfully through their tool or whatever product you're selling um and so <clears throat> while it might be a little bit more obvious than a support function i think that um really any person working in tech and, and servicing a user like that like should be thinking about what is that customer I um my role is mostly internal and I kind of flip it on to <clears throat> who is my internal customer what does the stakeholder need what are they looking for and how can I help connect that need in a way that makes sense to the program or the project so um I think obviously some use cases are a little bit more obvious but I like to think of Hootsuite we're really customer obsessed um in a good way and uh, <laughs> and and for us that just translates to like us kind of taking a step back in our day-to-day -day and thinking okay what is the need here? Who am I working with? And, and how can I help them get to that? For sure. And I used to work at a group called OCE. They're called OCI now. And I remember that uh, when we moved our office to Front Street, Hootsuite was on the way up the uh, up the oh, stairs. You guys had a, yeah. a Toronto office right at Front Street. And I'm like, what? Are they? they're doing some really incredible things in there. I mean, of course, we touch tech all the time at that job. It was just the nature of what we were doing. Um, but one of the things you always hear is, you know, you know Canada's tech ecosystem is is probably second to maybe only what's going on in California. Um, but then, I, you know, I hear you talk about customer service and things of that nature, which are very Canadian uh, homegrown concepts. What do you think differentiates, this is a more like wider question, what do you think differentiates Canadian tech? Um, and what good things are you seeing happening in like the BC ecosystem where you are? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, it's funny, like I've been working in tech for almost, you know, over over seven years and and even th within that short time frame um I feel like I've seen a lot of change over the last few years and especially with um remote work becoming a little bit more prevalent um I think people then were less bound by physical boundaries and it starts to boil down to more of like who where is this talent and can we have them as a part of our company? And so for from a Canadian perspective, I feel like one of our differentiators is, um, and this is a little bit of a cliche, but I do feel like we are nice. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. and like one thing I think about at Hootsuite specifically actually is I think we hire really well. Like we hire people that I are passionate about what they do. They're um, good at what they do. And then ultimately, I'm like, I would actually hang out with these people after work, which I don't think you can say about every single company. And so I really do feel like there is some sort of cultural element. Um, and it could be because uh, we generally have a pretty diverse population. You know, our, our immigration policies are different um, from a, a few other companies. And I think that contributes, or sorry, countries. And I think that contributes to the overall diversity of our country and then all the uh, um then ultimately the diversity in, in the workforce. And so um, I really do feel like that's a business benefit to a lot of tech companies here. Um, and then specifically in BC, like BC is really growing. It's a great place to live. It's beautiful. Um, and, and so I think we're attracting a lot of really great talents who again, recognize they don't necessarily have to be in the Silicon Valleys of the world. Um, you know, they can live elsewhere and have just as fulfilling a career. Um, and so I really do feel like remote work has enabled Canadian talent to, you know, find more confidence in their talent and get hired remotely. Um, and then I think we also have a really great education system. Like, you know, Waterloo is a really great, you know, education hub for a lot of those technical roles. 
Um, and, and really in general, like a lot of our universities and our education is top tier and, and really getting recognition for that and have for, for a lot of years now. So I think that ultimately contributes to our tech scene really growing. I really do feel like our niceness is a nice workplace perk and it just makes you want to show up every day and 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 be with your coworkers and be able to focus on the actual work that matters. Yeah, that's uh Steve and I have had a couple guests on before and, and one of the guests actually like she subscribes to the there's a book called The No Asshole Rule at work and like that's that's so that's so key and again I know that you're not always going to get along with everybody at work and you're not going to necessarily, you know, be friends with everybody at work. But I think the the idea of the litmus test of being like, can I hang out with this person after work? Because oftentimes going on work trips, like you're with these people after work hours, you're basically, you know, living abroad with them for a couple of days away from your home. So I do think that that is an underrated thing. And to be able to have that at your workplace is such a is such a gift because not everybody has that. And, and you could see how the lack of that cohesion, the, the lack of, you know, collegiality leads to all sorts of other challenges in the workplace, right? Totally. And um, I think maybe earlier in my career, I was spending more time with people that were probably more similar to me. So in, you know, similar places in life and, and similar ages. And then as I matured, I realized that like, A, um, that kind of diversity is really great. But then B, like, I get along with you, whether you are a you know, 22 year old intern or whatever it is versus like another director who might be older with a family and have a different lifestyle. But ultimately, because we have a lot of the same values mm-hmm. yeah. and a lot of the same, um, again, like passions about how we show up at work and, and the things that we're doing, I'm able to hang out with, you know, anyone within that range or whatever that looks like. And so <clears throat> I think that again, it boils down to like, not just hiring people that look like you or similar to you. And oftentimes you don't want that, but you're bringing in a lot of different Mm -hmm. perspectives and still ultimately able to connect. So we actually just had a um, onsite with our product team yesterday. And I was like, man, I really missed having everyone here. And it was so nice to meet some of my colleagues from overseas um, and just be able to really talk strategy. So really really sometimes missing um that human interaction and i'm glad that at hootsuite i can come in and 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 go to the office uh when i want to but it, it really is something that i think is truly special mm-hmm. well and on the subject of hiring brit like one of the things we wanted to ask you is like you know we've talked about where you get get your talent from and obviously i think having a diverse like workforce is is key to any business especially in tech but uh but where does Hootsuite like pull its talent from these days? Are you guys looking for, you know, somebody with that tech experience or, you know, somebody with a more unconventional path that brings a different perspective? I guess maybe can you talk a little about the philosophy behind how you guys actually, you know, populate a diverse uh, work workforce at, uh, at Hootsuite? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I will say I can't really choose between the two. Like we have a really good range of people that come in from externally have really great you know SME type knowledge who really bring that to the table um, but then at the same time I think Hootsuite's really good at recognizing that again people come from a lot of different backgrounds and some of those skills might be transferable so for example um, I think I'm actually a really good example of 
that because I started my career at Hootsuite in marketing. Um, I was hired on to manage our ambassador program at the time. It trans, uh, it grew into a little bit of a customer marketing role. And then at that time, I was like, you know what? Marketing has been really awesome. I kind of want to see what the product side of work is. Um, and we had an associate project manager role open up. I applied and came over um, internally into our product team. And even before that, um, we have this program at Hootsuite called Stretch, which is what I like to call like an internal internship program because you spend about a quarter working on a specific project with a different team, um, which is such a great learning opportunity. It builds empathy between teams. You're able to, as like a person, um, discover a new way of working and, and, and in some ways test out like, would I like working in this function or um, I, I'm now gaining a true understanding of what this team really does. And so I think we've been really supportive of that internal movement. And I think in, in a lot of other companies, people get really discouraged because they feel like, oh, I'll never be able to get into that role because I don't have that formal experience. Whereas I think at Hootsuite, um, we actually have been really open to it. We have a lot of product managers that come from um, analyst roles, success roles, et cetera. And so we do see a lot of movement. Um, at the same time, I think we're always looking for some of the best in the business. And so um, when we open up roles, uh, I think we always post them externally as well and as well as internal units, a rule that we kind of have to post both and make internal peeps aware that there is an opportunity to be able to encourage people to apply and again, get that diversity. Um, but then also look for people outside who um, have something new to bring to the table. And so I think it's always a bit of a balance of finding like, again, how do we get a fresh perspective, but then also enabling those um, within Hootsuite to be able to grow and, and flex their skills. I think from um, a PMO perspective in my team, we actually are, again, a good example of that because uh, myself and, and my colleague Steph, we are both, we've both been at Hootsuite for like seven, eight years. Um, and then we also have our VP and another uh, senior program manager who's external and have like a ton of really great experience from other companies. So um, I think especially in some of those internal facing roles, it's good to have a mix and, and we're able to learn so quickly from each other um, and, and, and share some of those experiences. Yeah. And I want to pick up a little bit more on diversity, if I could. Um, Mike and I, uh, we sort of operate in the in our day jobs, I should say, in like the mining and natural resource sector. And uh, it's not exactly, it, it's it's going through some really important changes as it relates to uh, diversity and, and diversity hiring uh, and, and a lot of great programs, but there's still tons of work to do in that sector. I think we're, we're definitely lagging, but, but tech seems to be one that's sort of leading uh, the way a little bit when it, when it comes to uh, diversity, um, at least in comparison from the perch that we sit in. Um, so maybe can you talk a little bit about uh, what, what more work needs to be done in tech um, uh, and how having a more diverse sector can actually lead to more innovation? Because I think it's important for our listeners to hear that as well. Yeah, totally. And um, I think as someone who's thinking about DE and I and A a lot of the time and, and um, co-chairing our Asian ERG, um, one thing I think about is about like, how do we A, celebrate wins and, and recognize that there is progress, uh, but also not be satisfied with what we have. And, and I think about that a lot, especially as an Asian woman. And so um, one thing that I think we can do a little bit more in tech is also 
like not just say, you know, it's, it's pride month or whatever it is. Here's mm. this one opportunity. Mm. I think it's really easy to say like, here is an outlet, one single outlet for you to feel or identify as an ally, but then also like really it boils down to what are those day-to-day experiences? Like, obviously, yes, it's great to have the celebrations and those events, but <clears throat> how are we actually making um, people feel comfortable in their roles and mm-hmm. how do we enable them to show up day to day and and be their genuine self and feel safe doing that and enabled um, and so at Hootsuite we recently launched uh, this micro course that speaks to DEI on social and so we're also thinking about like how can we also help our users think about this especially people who are in social media like if you're doing business on social media, you need to understand DEI as well. You need to understand your audience. And so we have this micro course, um, which I think is really cool. Shout out to our learning team. Um, but where that's where users hear from experts explaining uh, what diversity, equity, inclusion, and accessibility looks like on social media, and then how to implement that into their social strategy online. Um, so it's really kind of like a practical take on this. And, and for us, that's also something that we've enabled and open for our internal peeps as well. Like I can take this course, I have looked at it. Um, and, and so from my perspective, I think there's been so many studies, you know, name whatever business research function, they've shown that diversity is the right thing, not only from, again, a DEI and a perspective, but also from a business perspective, like having those different perspectives literally leads to better business. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think from us, it's not only the right thing to do, but it's also necessary for our success as a company and also for enabling our users to really think about, again, how do they reach those audiences? How do they better understand their own users? Um, and how can we support them in telling those stories? Yeah, and it's 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 interesting because the guest that we had on prior to you, uh, her name's uh, Chloe Arsenault from, from where we are in Sudbury. And she's the, the the one of the things in the conversation we talked about her is that obviously in skilled trades, like women are still very underrepresented in the skilled trades. And we talked about how like there's a lot of great events every year, like Jill of all trades, but that's a once a year thing. And we had asked her this a similar question, like what else can we be doing throughout the year to encourage mm-hmm. women and girls to consider a path in skilled trades, right? Because after that celebration's over, it's it's great, but there's still more work to be done the other 364 days of the year. Exactly. Um, this leadership role that I've taken with our ERG is newer to me. And before I applied for it, I really had to do a little bit of introspective thinking to be like, what does it mean for me to show up as a leader in my workplace and, and really try and champion this? And am I doing that in my day to day as well? And also like being telling myself, I have to also be humble and honest Mm -hmm. and people will probably keep me honest and give me feedback as I go through and learn and grow as well. And so I think part of it is also asking yourself how you show up every day um, and making very conscious decisions to change the language that you use, um, to to start calling out colleagues that might be underrepresented to say like, hey, congrats, you did a really good job on this, Um, nominating them for our opportunities or awards that they might not have in on um you know a seat at the table at usually I actually attribute um so I, I mentioned I moved over to products um about a few years in and there's two women specifically who I feel like really pushed me for the opportunity 
Um, one of them was an old mentor and she used to be a manager of mine who had heard, I was kind of looking to move over into product and she'd heard of this like project on the product side. And she said, Hey, I know you're looking for someone to do this. Britt would be a really good candidate. And she doesn't have that experience right now, but like, I think she could do it. And so she really brought my name into that conversation. Um, and then, uh, another woman, Jen, she was really like my champion and mentor throughout my first few days in product. And we used to have these coffee chats and she was always so positive and being like, no, Britt, you can do this. You can figure it out. I believe in you and you have to believe in yourself. And so when I also think about like, how do we, again, enable others and how do we make our workplace um, a good place to work it's also like how can I enable those around me and and not just performatively but also like really just recognizing when there's been good work and and taking the time and effort and opportunity to call that out so yeah I like to think of it at you know obviously a macro perspective you know challenging our own leaders to really think about this and and implement different policies and and strategies but then also at a, a micro level like how am i showing up day to day what um environments am i creating when i host meetings etc and and how can i build that into my everyday working style for sure and Britt, i'm going to change gears a little bit i'm going to talk about work unfortunately um, <laughs> but fortunately um i don't think uh you know people who are in tech adjacent sectors or people who use social media and might know what Hootsuite is, but I realized we didn't really just define what, what it is uh, Hootsuite is, and it might not be obvious for everyone, but it should be. You guys are, are quite a large uh, tech firm now, but maybe 30 seconds on on uh, on Hootsuite for me. And then I do have a question about AI and what investments, you know, we're hearing about AI more and more, uh, to, you know, in our everyday lives and ever before, I just wanted to know what investments Hootsuite might be making in the space and how AI might be enabling some of the processes and services that you offer clients. So first, tell us a bit about Hootsuite. We've been we've been really enjoying hearing about about you, but maybe we'll uh, we'll we'll pay a bit of love to Hootsuite at the same time. <laughs> Sounds good. So. Hootsuite at its core is a social media software company. Um, we enable our customers to be successful on social. So that looks like a lot of different ways. Um, you know, you can create content and essentially post on social all the way up to thinking about social selling, social customer care, um, and a lot of those more kind of enterprise or more complex use cases. Um, and at Hootsuite, I feel like we understand that social as an industry and even as a user like on instagram or whatever it can feel really crowded um and and the industry in, in some ways is no exception it's moving so quickly there's so many changes all the time and it can feel hard to keep up so one thing we think about when we're building product is how do we enable organizations to build audiences into like engaged advocates how do we help them listen to their users and and know what they want to see and and, and do um how do we enable them build the right content to reach those people and grow their business i think ultimately it boils down to knowing that you know social is table stakes i think at this point as a business it's no longer that oh i'll give it to the intern role like i hate that analogy because it was so true. I did social media as, sure. an as well, but now like I think businesses have to recognize it is a strategic role. 
you need someone who understands social deeply to be able to connect with your audience on social. And then interestingly enough, I feel like as an industry and like as businesses, there was a time where I felt like people were creating really polished content. And obviously for some industries, that's probably still true. But I think as we all become more savvy on social, um, people are looking for more genuine content. They want to know who you as a person or who you as a business really are. And so we're trying to help people navigate kind of that change and again, identifying um, with their users. You mentioned AI. So one of the things um, that I think we try and help our, our users do that is um, in April, we released what we call hourly writer AI, which is our AI powered content generator. Um, because content creation can be so tough sometimes, like you have to do it constantly. You have to be creative. Not only do you have to think about the um, written content, but you need to think about the creative designs, et cetera, et cetera. It, you know, it goes on. And so for us, we're like, well, we can help our users with this one step to combat the struggles of content creation. So it's a step-by-step -step tool. Um, it requires very little information to generate post ideas and captions for users. So again, when I, I take a step back, obviously AI is like a very hot topic. We've all seen the billion LinkedIn posts around it, so yeah, yeah. thought leadership. But from, from my perspective, what I like at Hootsuite is that I feel like we really took kind of a personal approach to be like, okay, AI is obviously hot. We're not just going to build any solution, let's build something that we feel like our users can truly use and find value in. So I was really excited to see that go out the door. Um, I actually worked very closely with that team who released it. So I was very proud um, of the work that they did. Um, and I can't wait to see kind of where that goes and how we'll build upon that. One, one of my favorite things right now is, is seeing some of like the nightmare fuel results of AI generated <laughs> things. There was this thing going around this week where somebody would used an AI tool to, to create a blue Jays commercial and it's, okay. it's horrifying. So if you haven't seen it yet, it's oh, yeah? been picked up in the news cycle because of, yeah, like the kids are eating hot dogs, but then the hot dogs turn into their arms and they're eating. It's, oh, it geez. is, it, yeah. Once you see it, you can unsee it. But again, I think, I think the tools you're talking about are, is the AI that we're all looking forward to and not, these dystopian nightmares that I see uh, on my social <laughs> yeah. feeds, but, uh, but Britt, we're almost at the end of our time with you. And we obviously would be remiss if we didn't touch on some of the, some, of, I think that not that your whole bio is not interesting, but there are some things that jumped out to us at the end, more on the personal side that we would be uh, remiss not to kind of talk about, you know, you'd mentioned uh, that you're deeply connected to the local boxing community in Vancouver. And, um, you know, we often hear, maybe we don't hear this that often anymore, but I always, when I hear boxing, I think of the sweet science metaphor. So we wanted to ask you, like, do you subscribe to that metaphor? And, and maybe what does, you know, what does that mean to you? And, and maybe just a little bit on how you got into boxing and and, and what's uh, what's kept you uh, active and involved in the sport. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, actually, I feel like this is a good way to tie it all together because I started boxing recreationally. A friend was like, hey, I'm just going to try this class. Do you want to go with me? Um, and I was like, sure, you know, I've been working out. This is kind of fun. And when I went to the class and did it, I remember thinking like, this is the hardest thing I've ever done. And I love that about this. <laughs> um, but what I like about boxing is that like very few people are actually really naturally talented at boxing. And, and so in some ways, when you're starting out, it's very equalizing. It doesn't matter if you're like a huge gym person, you know, very muscular in some ways, sometimes that actually takes away from your ability to box. Um, and so when I think about that sweet science metaphor, it really is interesting because boxing, I think, is like 99% hard work. And it's about what you put in, 
and then getting the results after that. So I really do feel like in, in a lot of ways, um, it is um, scientific in that way. But then also like, I think, especially when people watch boxing, it feels kind of um, rough or it can feel uh, very daunting, but boxing is actually very strategic. You know, if you aren't one step ahead of your opponent, you're going to get punched in the face. <laughs> and so I think, I think um, we call it boxing IQ to like know your setup, know your strategy. Not only do you have to be athletic, but you have to be really smart in some ways. So I definitely think uh, it's a, it's a pretty good metaphor. Um, I started again, like I said, recreationally, and then I just loved it so much that uh, the owners of the gym I was going to at the time was like, what do you think about fighting? And I was like, okay, I'll give it a shot. <laughs> um, and then I ended up fighting for a few years before COVID hit. And then now I've transitioned uh, to teaching and I do still train uh, with the competitive team at TCS here in, in Vancouver. So um, yeah, love it. I think it's, it's a good time. Like I think anyone can box. I really do believe that. Um, and so it's, it's a good sport. That's unreal. Uh, <laughs> final, final thing to leave you with, uh, Mike and I last year had the opportunity to, to come to, to Vancouver and, uh, we probably gained 10 pounds because of the food uh, that we were able to, and we to were, get. And we were only there for two days. So that's, yeah, I know. To... Yeah. <laughs> the only thing that saved us is Mike insisted that we walk everywhere because it was so beautiful out, um, which I, you know, I'm indebted to him for. Um, you said it, we said in your bio that you enjoy cooking, but with so many culinary treats uh, along the way, how do you, how do you make the choice to, to actually stay at home and cook? And if you do do that, uh, what, what's uh, what, what can we expect uh, Brit Ho to be making on a Friday night? Oh, that's a good question. I, um, yeah, one of the reasons why I box is probably still that I can try more restaurants, yeah. but um, <laughs> it's interesting. Like oftentimes I'll find inspiration from those restaurants. So I'll go out, try a dish and be like, wow, this is really good. I'm going to try and make it at home. Um, so it kind of goes both ways. Um, right. And um, it's funny that you say that I actually keep a spreadsheet as like any good project <laughs> manager, go. um, but I keep a spreadsheet of all my favorite spots. And sometimes I'll look back, um, you know, when I don't know what to make for dinner and I'll be like, oh, you know, what are some of my favorite dishes? Can I try making them at home? I actually, that really, um, that really was something I was doing, especially with COVID and not being able to go out as much. And so um yeah I, I think it's always a bit of a balance I love just exploring new cuisines we have a ton of really great food here in Vancouver it's true um I really feel like especially your Chinese food here is like as good as literally in China or Hong Kong so wow. um really spoiled for a lot of that mm -hmm. choice um and then again being on you know uh, having all those beaches and stuff that means we had really great seafood so yeah. hard to choose um I also discover a lot through social media so I will say that always helps but yeah sometimes it's just finding that hole in the wall spot mm -hmm. sitting down and then thinking about how I can make it at home that's well, that, awesome. Yeah. And I mean, the, the conference that Steve and I went to, it, it is every second year in Vancouver. So I think we'll have to hit you up for that spreadsheet the next that's time we're, we're, we're that way. So yeah, for sure. I will, well, I've shared it with a lot of people. So you're always well, welcome to it. Okay, oh, that's, that's good. So it's not like a secret list. That's good. <laughs> no, <laughs> That's good. So uh, Britt, thanks so much for joining us today. Uh, I think we, uh, we had a, we had a great chat and uh, we're just uh, really, you know, super, uh, happy that you're able to join us and, and, and inspired by your story and, and uh, happy to be able to give it to others. So thanks a lot. 
Thanks for having me. It was awesome chatting with you. Um, I've listened to a lot of your other episodes, so was really excited to be a guest um, on the podcast. So again, thanks for having me and was awesome chatting with you both. Pleasure was ours. Thanks, Britt. Thanks. Mike, uh, we just had a great chat with Britt. It's so funny. I was just, sometimes when we're off camera, we we're trying to decide who's going next. And in this case, I will go next. Uh, but great, great chat with, uh, with Britt. Um, Mike, I'm just remembering our sojourn in Vancouver uh, last year. Um, I had been there. I, I actually, no, I had never been to BC before. Um, but just getting off the plane and then, you know, being on the on the ocean with the, the mountains in the background, there's really not too many places in the world like that. And I can't wait to go back for the next CIM event. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm actually surprised I didn't get a mountain tattoo after going to Vancouver, but I think it was probably because we didn't actually <laughs> go in the mountains. I could see them from yeah. from, from the water, which yeah. to me was like a highlight just to be able to see them. Um, but yeah, that was maybe, a, that was an Easter egg. It, right there. Yeah. It was like a precursor to like, of course yeah. this is going to happen eventually. Yeah. So no, I love Vancouver again. We were, we weren't in there for, uh, for very long, but I think, um, it's, it's just, a, it's just such a beautiful place and, and yeah. as to Brit's point, like great food. Uh, but yeah, we will definitely be tapping into, to Brit's expertise with that spreadsheet. I think that was, she, you know, she, at first she said the, you know, the, the talk of boxing kind of tied it all together, but I really think the talk of uh, of her culinary pursuit tied it all together because as a good program uh, pro- project manager, she yeah. of course like has the data to back it up and has the information stored. And I would love to get a peek at that spreadsheet, but I'm sure we will um, when we go to CIM next year. Yeah, and I think uh, like a good project manager, I'm sure it'll be annotated. It won't just be the <laughs> the name of the restaurant; it'll be what to get. So I think uh, you know I'm willing to go there with her. Yeah, no, I'm gonna have a like like most people that I, I like their spread their excel sheet uh powers are probably much more superior than mine so yeah. i'm sure it'll blow my mind um yeah as, as, as most uh spreadsheets do it seems so anyway so anyway again great speaking with brit um great hearing about the good work going on at hootsuite of course um and uh just optimistic about where tech is going from a diversity perspective um last thing mike have you ever boxed with boxing gloves uh, you know what? Uh, so there was one time, this was probably in high school or early university. Um, and we used to play poker in my one buddy's garage a lot. And obviously we would be drinking, um, beers and, and other, uh, <laughs> enlightening, uh, enhancements. And, uh, one <laughs> night somebody brought boxing gloves into the garage and none of our friends boxed or knew how to box, but like, we both we all put on boxing gloves and and tried to fight each other, and uh, it did not go well for me. I think I got like one in the face, and uh, like my eyes instantly watered because I got hit square in the nose, which is obviously the biggest target on my face. Um, <laughs> so that and so I immediately took them off, and that was it for me. And that was the last time I've ever put boxing gloves on. Uh, so again, I n- by no means have I boxed, but that was yeah. as close as I've been. Um, I, I like, I like the aspect that Britt talked about with the strategy. Uh, I think of a lot of parallels with like, you're going to hate me, Steve, but hockey IQ, knowing mm-hmm. where the puck is before it gets there. But I think to Britt's point, I think to have a cerebral mind can help you not get punched in the face. Uh, yeah. but I think you need to have all of that training before you get to that point. So definitely train before you get into a, 
a, a boxing match in the garage with your buddies uh, for sure would be my advice. How about you? Have you ever been in the ring? Uh, yeah, like a little bit when I was when I was younger. And then my wife took up kickboxing not too long ago. And, uh, you know, those gloves look rather pillowy. I mm. I just tell everyone that they're hasn't not. done it. They're not. <laughs> they're not. It's honestly like wrapping a towel around a baseball yeah. bat and hitting someone yeah. with it. So um, those that do boxing and actually get in uh, in fights like Brit has uh, more power to them because it's it's much more uh, than I'm willing to do. Yeah, well, actually, I gotta. I just. I'll end this with a quick anecdote about my kid. You always talk to me like, what are some funny like French? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, Fringlish things that my daughters say. So again, if the listeners haven't heard this before, uh, my daughters both French is their their mother tongue. So we speak French at home. Uh, I do my best to to parlay vous with them. But uh, so it's allowed me to get some interesting uh, phrases over the years. So one of Zoe's friends uh, kickboxes, and so one day we asked her like, "Would you be interested in kickboxing?" And she said, yes. And then we asked her, uh, you know, what does, like, what, what do you think you do in kickboxing? And she said, kick la boite, which, <laughs> which, which, which means, you know, a mix of like kick the box. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Uh, so uh, we're like, oh, no, there's a little bit more to that. But, uh, but yeah, yeah, so that's, uh, that's, uh, that's a, a Fringlishism in our house, uh, kick Lab white. So anyway. Yeah. My wife, and I'll leave you with this. My <laughs> wife used to have a shirt that says she has style. She has grace. She'll kick you in the face. <laughs> well, I, I believe that. I yeah. could I could see Tanya doing that. So anyway. All right, everyone. Thanks, everyone. And we'll uh, see you next time. The Unlikely Innovators with Mike Comito and Steve Gravel. Presented by Cambrian R&D and the Center for Smart Mining.